0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is Jeff Simpson here with Cole Wissinger. And we are so excited because this is our fantabulous, scrum diddly uh holiday Christmas episode.
1: Yay. I think that's
0: the official title, too. Yeah, I'll put it on the website. No, 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 no. If our title today was, or if our show was going to have any title today, it would be The Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. And I'll explain about that in just a minute here. But first, you know, just like we like to do each and every week on Screen Cleaning, we like to give you the very best in entertainment news. And our producer, Mickey Randall, is here to tell us about one holiday-related piece of news that I'm a little tickled over.
1: It's pretty funny. Okay, so this week, Google released a commercial, which I believe is advertising their... They're Google Home, which is like an Alexa.
0: Right. Something like that. Yes.
1: But the commercial is a remake of Home Alone (gasps) starring Macaulay himself.
0: So it's Google Home Alone. (laughs) Wow. Yes. Nice.
1: Very funny. He's a little bit older and they kind of make fun of that. Like he's jumping on his bed and his his back hurts a little bit. (laughs) Very funny. Yeah, they go through some of the funnier beats of home alone and it's uh mccully is a older dude
0: now my question is you hear joe pesci's voice in this commercial and i you kind of see his likeness too i'm wondering he's got to have been he has to have been paid for this
1: you didn't really see too much of him
0: well i wouldn't want to get on joe pesci's bad side so i would just mm. pay the guy and and you know yeah keep the change H- you filthy, filthy animal, animal. <laughs> which is also in there you got to check it out it's It'll put a smile on your face. And it even made me want to go back and watch Home Alone, which is not something that I can say was true before I watched that commercial. Interesting.
1: There's a couple new movies, though, that we definitely
0: Absolutely. want to go watch. And we should say there is one film that we're not going to get to today, and it is Welcome to Marwin starring Steve Carell. And uh, it looks really interesting. The I mean, the computer animation looks really cool where they kind of – animate these dolls that he's creating i believe it's based on a true story
1: it's also based on a documentary that's also happened it's getting some bad reviews, this new one, and so maybe check out the documentary. Sure. Um, another review you won't hear today is Mary Poppins Returns. It officially came out Wednesday, but this is its first weekend. We reviewed it last week, if you want to check that out. And we to loved our it. our last podcast.
0: We loved it. Spoiler, we did both. Love it. So let's start with the movie that is going to make the most money this weekend. And I wish we could say it was going to be Mary Poppins Returns. That's probably not the case. However, there is another option uh, for – I mean, both of these films will make a lot of money, let's just say. And the film that I saw – hope. There's
1: only so much money to go around here. So we'll see. Yeah,
0: they probably won't get any of my money just because I'm basically going to be out in the middle of nowhere. So, sorry. Uh, But the first one we want to talk about is Aquaman. So I'm actually going to use a line from Mary Poppins Returns to – preface the review. Okay. She says something to the effect of, we're about to go on an adventure, so don't spoil it with a lot of questions. So basically, turn off your brain, just enjoy it, and you'll have a good time. Okay. Don't think about it too much. So let me tell you a little bit about the plot. Jason Momoa plays Arthur, who is the illegitimate son of... ...of a lighthouse keeper and Atlanta, who is Queen of Atlantis. She flees her underwater kingdom because she's refusing to marry someone that, you know, it's an arranged marriage. When her cover is blown on land... She's forced to leave her son and the man that she loves in order to protect them. So she goes back to the arranged marriage. Flash forward 30 years or so, Arthur is now fighting pirates as Aquaman, but he has no interest in taking his rightful place as King of Atlantis, which would entail fighting his half-brother Orm. And the whole time I was thinking, did they say Orm, like Orm, Utah? But it's Orm, O-R-M, And Orm is dead set on becoming king himself. But when Orm unites the majority of the other underwater kingdoms, it's even a democracy under the sea, uh, to give battle to all land dwellers, Aquaman realizes he may just be mankind's only hope. So basically kind of a cookie-cutter superhero Plot. We
1: get an origin story. He has his right. call to action, reason to go be the king that he should be. But he, so you say he's already a hero. So this happens chronologically after Justice League, where he I believe was already it does. Aquaman. Yeah.
0: Okay. But I did not see Justice League. But there there are some lines in the film that that make it seem like it's happening after Justice League. Interesting. Uh, what is interesting about this film? And I think it sells it and it makes it so that it's not worse than it should be. Right. Um the actors they it's like they don't know that they're in a B movie. They are acting their hearts out and it Patrick Wilson especially. He's treating this like it's an A movie. When, you know, as I mentioned, you need kind of need to turn your brain off to fully enjoy this. It's so full of CGI that the the few moments in the film that don't involve CGI are very noticeable. You're like, "Whoa, people aren't underwater You know, with their hair flowing and no air bubbles coming out. and and So it's very noticeable. There are some really fun action sequences in it. Again, using so much CGI. Jason Momoa is having a blast. And you likely will, too, as long as you heed my advice and overlook how silly the whole thing is. I mean, it is a superhero movie. Right.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. I went to see another big budget action movie, but this one, whereas Aquaman has taken the predecessors and kind of upped it even more, more CGI, more kind of ridiculousness, a big budget, this is taking an old franchise and toning it down a little bit. It is a bumblebee, the uh-huh. new entry into the Transformers universe, and this is isn't even so much an entry into the universe that we're already familiar with. It takes place in 1987, but it's not necessarily a prequel to the exact things that happened in the Shia LaBeouf and Mark Wahlberg movies.
0: So 87, is it full of a bunch of
1: fun 80s songs? It is so full of songs. And if anything, I think we could have had even more songs. Really? The first ten minutes or so of the movie is like a jukebox listening. There were four (laughs) songs in the first ten minutes that played through that I loved. I was enjoying that a lot. Music becomes kind of a big part of Bumblebee because as he finds his voice, uh, very early in the movie, one of the bad robots takes his vocal cords of his robotness and takes him out because Bumblebee, as we know, can't speak. Right, from the other movies. Oh. They do keep that going, and he learns how to talk through the radio and through music mm. because the girl that he meets and befriends, Charlie, is a big fan of eighties music.
0: Never gonna give you up. That
1: song is in there, and that never gonna give, never gonna give, brings up a very good moment because. Unfortunately, the only thing holding this movie back for me is how much I loved the trailer. I want to talk mm. about trailers for just a second. Okay. Mission Impossible had the best trailer of 2018. Next uh, In two weeks, we're going to do our best of 2018 show. I'm not sure if trailers is going to make a category, but <laughs> I loved the Mission Impossible trailer. And second this year, I loved the Bumblebee trailer. Mm. I loved the Mission Impossible movie because they were able to add things to the trailer. Unfortunately, I felt like this movie had a better trailer than a movie. Oh, no. A lot of the great moments from the trailer were either not in the movie at all or in places that didn't really mean a lot. There's a really cool scene where Bumblebee's in a tunnel and kind of goes around the tunnel and is half robot, half beetle, and then hops along, and... In the movie, that's just them running away from a cop for, like, one scene because they were speeding. And it has no significance to the actual action or plot of the movie. It just looks cool. And so in the trailer, it looked cool, and you got to think, oh, maybe that's going to be—nah, it doesn't mean anything.
0: This is a little disappointing because just like Aquaman was humanity's last hope, I feel like the film Bumblebee was the last hope for the Transformers franchise.
1: It'll still make some money, but it will definitely make less than it normally does because it's less action.
0: Do you think there's Transformer fatigue?
1: Well, if there was, it would have kicked in around the second or third movie when they were still really bad. People that go see these movies are going to see this (laughs) movie. But don't you think think they're kind of notorious for being bad now? Like, that's their reputation? And this one is not could be that. It's hmm. it's a different kind of Transformers, so we'll see just how it
0: So they focus, goes. you're thinking people won't love it as much because they focus first on story, second on action? Yes. Or is that not the case?
1: That that is the case and the story isn't great enough for people like me that were waiting for a really great Transformers movie to go see it a couple times. It's it's a pretty bland girl and her robot, girl and her dog kind of story.
0: Mm. Well, speaking of reboots and franchises and different iterations of the same film, we when we return are going to be giving you our picks for the best moments from each of the iterations of A Christmas Carol. It's Christmas, it's Christmas after Christmas all. Time. And that ultimately is going to make up The Christmas Carol. That's right. When we return, this is screen cleaning our very special holiday episode.
1: Is there anyone that can help you? Do you have a family?
0: Oh, who me? There have been so many adaptations of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. So many that we probably can't even find all of them. From TV specials to animated shorts to theatrically released movies to musicals. Even
1: sitcoms do their Christmas Carol episode around
0: Christmas time as well. Hmm, I sense a tease in that uh-huh. reference. Um, and the problem is, as great as some of these are, and we will share our favorite overall adaptation of A Christmas Carol, there are little bits and pieces of each of them that we like. And if we could choose, We wouldn't make A Christmas Carol. If we could have our pick of all of our favorites and put them into one film, we could make The The Christmas Christmas Carol. Carol. And that's what we're going to endeavor to do here on Screen Cleaning today. We have different categories. We will first mention our, our favorite overall adaptation of A Christmas Carol we will mention our favorite scrooge our favorite bob cratchit our favorite ghosts our favorite fred who is the nephew of uncle Sc- or of scrooge and of course tiny tim so first of all we want to share with you our favorite overall adaptation of a christmas carol and let's just say it on the count of three, Cole. One, two, three. It's a Muppet, Muppet Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. Of
1: course it is. It's got to be.
0: Why do you love it so much, Cole?
1: So I, I definitely grew up with it. This came out the year I was born, and so starting with my first Christmas later that year, I've seen this every year on Christmas Eve. It's our family tradition. When I try to remove myself from the nostalgia that's obviously hanging over me when I talk about this, it also just has some of the best moments. It's got the lightest atmosphere, it has the best music of any of the music adaptations, and it's got Muppets. Of course it's great.
0: <laughs> and it's kind of surprising, or it's not I mean it, it's a little surprising how some of these Muppets fit so well into some of these. Fozzie Wig the Bear. Yes, yes. <laughs> And um, I'm right there with you, Cole. I may have come to it a little later in life than you did. I'm sure I saw it in the theaters once when it came out. And it's not one that we watched growing up every single year. But once I married into my wife's family, it is one that became annual viewing. And the more I watch it, the more I love it. It's the most heartwarming. It is the most uh, inspiring to get you to get up and go and be a different person and change your evil ways. Uh, I'm not talking about you specifically, Cole. Maybe I'm (laughs) talking more about me. When Scrooge changes his. Right. So it's got to be our overall favorite.
1: It's interesting about this movie as well as I can point to this and probably the monster at the end of the book, which is a children's <gasps> now that book. one
0: I did grow up with. Um,
1: and those two, with the Great Gonzo and Grover, as a very small child, influenced me into my love of breaking the fourth wall and kind of the way you frame <laughs> a story. Uh, because the Great Gonzo, as he steps into the role of Charles Dickens, narrating *I'm Up at Christmas Carol*, is what. Makes What sets this one apart and adds extra humor while getting to quote the novel? I realized as I read the novel for the first time, I could quote most of it because I'd seen a Muppet Christmas Carol so often. They're pretty dang faithful.
0: Right. No, I love that there's a narrator throughout the film and it's very much in line with the personalities of the characters that embody the narrator
1: but as much as we love this it does have some flaws absolutely and so, so now let's cast our perfect
0: let's break it down person. let's let's go backwards let's start with tiny tim okay. okay we'll end with scrooge this one i don't know that cole and i are all that pleased with the way that tiny tim is portrayed in a lot of these adaptations because you know it's a little heavy-handed you know they'll give him some dark eye shadow Um, And then sometimes it's just uh, a little confusing. Like, they'll call him Tiny Tim, but he's the same size as everybody else. And I I have a problem with the term Tiny Tim to begin with. In general?
1: Like, why is his own family making fun of the cripple in the
0: family? It's a little condescending, and he's more of a mascot than anything else. And yet, in one adaptation, at least one that we could find... You really not only do you feel sorry for him, but he is so adorable, and yet they don't treat him like he's the mascot of the family. He they just treat is a him part
1: of the family. He, they
0: treat him like a part of the family. They don't talk down to him, and he is the one that seems to have the biggest heart of the entire family. And this comes from, oh, I think it's 1983. It's an animated short, and it is Mickey's. Christmas Carol.
1: Tiny little Mickey's kid is even the one that kind of raises his glass for the first time to toast Scrooge as the founder of the feast. Right, he's He does, you said, has the biggest heart of the family and he kind of ties that, that atmosphere together as they're trimming the tree. Tiny Tim is there. It's very cute. And Mickey's Christmas Carol is so wonderful that, that we also wanted to sneak someone in there from it. Right. right.
0: And that is one that I did grow up with uh, Tiny Tim in this version is voiced by a young actor not young anymore obviously was young in the 80s Dick Billingsley be interesting to find out if he's related to Peter Billingsley of a Christmas story and it was just I'm guessing an not.
1: adorable voice job <laughs> I, don't normally, your heart. I don't normally notice the voices as much as Jeff does it's your profession you're great at it um, but
0: <laughs> I noticed how adorable Tiny Tim sounds Yes. now this one I don't think we had to look as hard there. There weren't. I don't feel like we found as many that were great, but I think you and I were both unanimous that this was the best Fred of any of the adaptations that we've seen anyway. Absolutely. So
1: in Patrick Stewart's A Christmas Carol, which is my parents favorite version from 1999 1999. Fred is played by Dominic West and the thing that sets him apart from other Freds is that he's nice throughout and even when nobody's looking, right when we when Mr. Yes. Christmas present takes Scrooge along for the ride and takes them to Fred's party Oftentimes, and this is one of my biggest criticisms with our favorite A Muppet Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. Fred's kind of biting and and talks behind Scrooge's back saying, oh, you know, he's like a rat and they're playing that little word game. And nope, it's Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has a joke at his expense. Whereas here, Dominic West, even when he doesn't know that Scrooge is listening in, is always defensive of his uncle and really does love him.
0: And one thing I really like about his portrayal of Fred in A Christmas Carol, or just this adaptation in general, is that this was the first time that I realized why Fred, after all these years, is still trying to have this connection with his uncle. And I they realized backstory Scrooge is the only living connection that he has with his mother because mm-hmm. his mother is no longer living. And we'll talk about another uh, another dot that we connected by watching a different adaptation. But, yeah, that was the first time it clicked for me, like, oh, yeah, if I lost a loved one, I would want to do anything in my power to try to keep that memory of that loved one alive. And I'm going to get a little personal here, Cole. Um My wife and I, for a time when we were dating, had to date long distance, and it was very difficult for me. I was sweating bullets, thinking, oh, my goodness, somebody's going to snatch her up in Seattle, and I'm totally powerless (laughs) here in Utah. Um, But she has two sisters that live here, and I would do anything to stay in contact with them, to be very much on everybody's radar like i'm still here so i would go to her sister and i would offer to babysit i would offer to do all these favors for them be present in the family right i wanted to be a part of that family so much that i would do anything that i could to have that connection even though janelle my wife was away in seattle
1: And even the versions that give us more backstory and flesh out, maybe that, you know, Fred's mom died in childbirth and things like that. You don't realize that that's what Fred's doing until we get a portrayal of Fred that's actually nice and is trying to always be in Scrooge's life.
0: Right. And you mentioned uh, another adaptation, which was from 1951, which will come up later in the conversation, where we find out, or at least in this version, that Scrooge's sister dies giving birth to Fred. So that kind of maybe explains why Scrooge is so cold-hearted to Fred because mm-hmm. the the one person that it seemed that he loved other than the woman he almost married died giving birth to this uh young man and he is a constant reminder of that pain.
1: As you watch enough of these the puzzle pieces start putting together mm-hmm. to see you know what made Scrooge a Scrooge why we use Scrooge as a verb nowadays.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now let's go through the four different ghosts that we see in these different adaptations. And these, I mean, these portrayals couldn't be any different. I mean, a lot of the other characters, they're pretty much the same portrayal throughout all the different movies. Yeah. Not really a lot of different choices that the actors are being are, are making or not really written very differently from the script. But these portrayals are totally different. So let's start with... Marley, Jacob Marley, and the we'll, yeah, and then we'll go through all the different ghosts that come and, and warn him and, and teach him the error of his ways. So there's not a lot of good that I could say about the 80s adaptation starring Bill Murray mm. titled Scrooged. I think it's an ugly, hateful, hurtful film, and I don't think it's funny. And we agree on this as well. A Christmas Carol is supposed
1: to be heartwarming and giving you hope for the future, and Bill Murray's Scrooged is much much more cynical than it needed to be. I know that's the path that they were going. It was the eighties, they wanted to be edgy, but it doesn't fit the moral of the story.
0: Right. So the one good thing I could say, as I was trying to look back at all the different portrayals of Marley, for the most part, they're all pretty much the same. Some of them, you know, being very much a ghost in the vein of, ooh. Sometimes his
1: jaw drops down because of the wrapping around his head. Right, dragging
0: all the chains, which is faithful to the book, to be fair. However, this one, Scrooged, uh, his name is not Jacob Marley. Um, To be really fair and to to get technical, (laughs) right? He is his old business partner and he comes in. I think he's wearing kind of like this, you know, athletic suit, just like casual. And he's got these sunglasses. And instead of being an apparition, he's portrayed as this walking corpse (laughs) who, you know, his skin is all flaky. He's got this mouth coming out the back of his skull. Did I say mouth or mouse? I meant Mouse.
1: Yes. There's a hole because right. he's decomposing. He right. was dead for these seven years or whatever the story says. And, and he's
0: taking this drink and it's just like falling out every orifice on his body. To me, it is a, it's a it's a funny, creepy portrayal of Marley. And the makeup department did a fantastic job on this. I would be interested to see if they got nominated for an Oscar for that. But I would say that's probably my favorite portrayal of the Marley Ghost. Speaking of being nominated for Oscars, though,
1: as we move through the ghosts, the Ghost of Christmas Past that you've chosen, uh, that we have chosen, also got nominated for an Oscar along with the entire special.
0: A film that was made for ABC back in 1971, and it won an Oscar, asterisk.
1: As, a, yeah. as an animated short. It was released for on TV, like you said, first, and then they kind of snuck it into theaters so it could get the Oscar. Um And now you can't do that anymore. (laughs) And it's
0: funny. You you read. I read about this and it said industry insiders complained about it. And so it's like, okay, basically, the people that lost complained Mm -hmm. that you can't do that. And so there was a rule that was made that it has to be released initially theatrically. Right.
1: Well, because the TV has their own thing going. Right. The Emmys Mm -hmm. do reward TV specials. So. So, uh, mm -hmm. So
0: let's talk about Cole. You talk about this interesting and different portrayal of the ghost of christmas past
1: so like we said this is animated and this whole version this 25 minute condensed version of a christmas carol is about as creepy as it gets so but don't animation don't be fooled is fantastic by the fact that it's animated to think that it's okay for kids like right. it's as scary as scrooge's story gets this particularly the ghost of christmas past it's over it's like a triple exposure image the way they animated it so his Face is always moving around and you can't quite track where it is and it's just kind of off-putting.
0: Looks like it has three heads.
1: That it's coming and it kind of works because it's coming from these different – it's like a ghost out of time, time distortion, sci-fi kind of thing in the middle of a Christmas story.
0: Right. Now, another thing of note uh, to mention about this 1971 version is it brings back two actors that had portrayed – These actors in different – in a different adaptation, Mm -hmm. we're speaking of Alistair Sim, who portrayed Scrooge in the 1951 version.
1: The seminal kind of version that popularized it.
0: Right. And I don't have the name of the Marley from the 1951 version, but he also reprises his uh, role – in this version.
1: Yeah, this was this little animated special, and it, it kind of buzzes through it. it. It seems like we're getting an hour and a half movie in a half hour because we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interestingly animated. Chuck Jones was a part of the animation team and production team, and they brought back these stars from the original. This was supposed to be the animated version of Scrooge, and they do a few things really well.
0: The animation is beautiful and unique. Okay, so Cole, move us on to The Ghost of Christmas Present. The Ghost of Christmas Present. This was unanimous. This was not even a question, I think.
1: Absolutely, because this is one that is very different from all the other ones. Mostly, and even in the story, the original work by Charles Dickens, The Ghost of Christmas Present is just part of this scared straight program to to spook (laughs) Scrooge into changing his ways. But there is one version that is kind and shows Scrooge love for the first time in a long time in his life, and that is the large Muppet that they have in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes,
0: this is so exciting. Voiced by I don't, and I don't know if the I don't know if he was actually in the suit. I would think maybe not, but it was Jerry Nelson who also is the voice of Tiny Tim in this version, Aww. and one of the Marleys. And a bunch of other characters. But, yeah, he's just – he's a big, jolly Santa Claus type of a guy. And, yeah, it's like the one version of the Ghost of Christmas Present that is kind. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It's – he's – trying to tell Scrooge, and it's in his song, it's in the singing of a street corner choir, going home and getting warm by the fire. After Scrooge saw how he lost love with the ghost of Christmas past, and he's very sad, Ghost of Christmas present, picks him up and says, there's still love all over in this world. You just have to open up and find it. Don't just be having your head down in the snow and trudge your way to work every day. Just look up a bit and see the love that's all around you and... They become friends. A lot of times the Ghost of Christmas Present bit and stave three in the story even ends with the ghost just giving him another scare, you know, opening up his robe and these two destitute children are under and him. And we reminding don't get that him. in this version. And we don't yeah. get that in this version. When, when the Ghost of Christmas Present's about to leave here, Scrooge says, do you have to go? Is your life so short? And. Scrooge finally Longs for him has him to stay. a friend right. that only got to stay for this short amount of time, and it's so beautiful. That's it's a better way for Scrooge to change his ways than necessarily being scared into dying someday.
0: Or yes. Whatever. Now I'm going to let you explain the next one too, which is the Ghost of Christmas Future, or the Ghost of Christmas, or of Christmas yet, yet to, to come. To come. Because I'm not familiar with this one, Cole. (laughs) So I watched a
1: lot of different versions, some of them only 22-minute TV episodes that go really quick. And I found a really interesting take on the Ghost of Christmas Future in WKRP in Cincinnati's Christmas special.
0: And this is Howard Hesseman or Howard Hessman. I'm not sure yeah, how you pronounce He that.
1: plays Johnny Fever, which is just one of the DJs at the radio station. And he's guiding our old crotchety radio station owner through the future of his station. If he keeps just focusing on the money and not giving out the Christmas bonuses this year, then one day the station will just be another one of those automated music, music, music. And the only guy in the entire bullpen that was so lively and that Gave us this sitcom and had a bunch of fun interactions is the sales guy, because that's all that's really important to a money hungry (laughs) radio station owner. And so as a guy that's been in the radio industry for a long time, I found that very funny. And Johnny Fever is like my favorite character in WKRP in Cincinnati anyway. And the fact that he wasn't a grim reaper like every other Ghost of Christmas future. I thought it was a nice little uh, change.
0: Okay, well, I'll have to check it out. I have never <laughs> seen the show before, but I am familiar with that actor at least.
1: It's it's probably funnier for me having worked in commercial radio right. and college radio and now a different college radio. Yeah, um, I love that
0: show. Okay, so now we're down to the last two that we need to cast, and this one we decided is going to come from the 1951 version. And we're not talking about Scrooge, we're talking about Bob Cratchit. Yeah. This, to me, is the hero of A Christmas Carol, because this is the one character that in each one of the adaptations is true, and he, no matter what, is going to have a kind heart, even when nobody's looking He's going to be kind to Ebenezer Scrooge, is going to toast his health because he considers him the founder of the feast. And this one is portrayed by Mervyn Johns. And I think what we liked about this version of Bob Cratchit is that more than any of the other Bob Cratchits, his portrayal is not in any way showy. Mm -hmm. He's the most humble, the most quiet and I don't want to say pitiful, but just the one that you really feel for.
1: Empathetical, maybe. Right. That he really invites you into the Cratchit home and makes you believe, where instead of trying to ham it up for the camera, he's, Mm -hmm. like you said, those humble qualities that he puts on are what Cratchit should be. He's just the put-upon workman of Scrooge.
0: Not showy in the least. And so we want to go with Mervyn Johns from the 1951 version, which is actually called Scrooge. Scrooge. Right. Okay. Cole? The moment we've been waiting for. This is the one that may be a little controversial, but not too much, because I would think a lot of people would consider this one of the best Scrooges.
1: I mean, and this, to cast Scrooge is probably where a lot of versions of A Christmas Carol start. Even as we talk and mm-hmm. we're trying to figure things out, we often refer to them as the who's playing Scrooge as opposed to the year. I remember the Albert Finney version of Scrooge is the Albert Finney version, not whatever year it came out, or the Alistair Sim version, or... The George C. Scott version.
0: Which is the one that we are choosing. Yep. And this was not a a theatrically released version. This one was a made-for-TV movie, and George C. Scott was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor. As he should. Absolutely. It was so good. Um, I'm a big George C. Scott fan to begin with, even though I haven't seen a ton of his movies. I just think he's a terrific actor. The way that he played Scrooge in this is so fantastic. He wasn't going for showy either, which a lot of the other Scrooges did, including Albert Finney, who's probably the showiest (laughs) of all the Scrooges. When
1: you put it in a musical, you got to ham up a little bit.
0: Right, right. But what made his portrayal great is that this is the Scrooge that takes the longest to get to where he is at the end to have his arc it's true. he is the longest arc of any of them and he has just like the graveliest voice and when he's yelling at people it's really crotchety and gravelly and i i love how when he's being ridiculed in this version he doesn't he's not offended by it like every other one is he's he's kind of like you know brushing it off like ha ha yeah you've had your laughs type of deal
1: mm-hmm. and i th- i think what he captured was a believable scrooge scrooge isn't supposed to be like the devil incarnate and in evil and oh I hate everything about Christmas he's just a greedy businessman right and George C. Scott just cares about money more than he cares about people and then during the course of the story realizes oh people and love are important as well and now I can use my money to help others but he's he's just a believable businessman this is one that you kind of explore his world of business a little bit as well when he talks to the money lenders and things like that and,
0: yeah, I think you hit it on the head when you said businessman because he's not one that takes offense, he's not one that even has time to bother uh, with with people and what I love about this is that there's this scene where the you know the two gentlemen that are trying to raise money for the poor Charity and destitute, mm-hmm. right? They come up to him and he just like almost as if he's heard it a hundred times. He's like, "Oh, are there no workhouses? Are there no uh, prisons?" Prisons, and... and he just like like he's given this answer a hundred times. He's like, "Oh, good for a minute there. I thought they were something, <laughs> you know, something had happened." Um, and when they ask him if he really means what he says when he said they should better they should die uh, and decrease the surplus surplus population. They ask him, surely you don't mean that. And very sincerely, he turns to them and says, with all my heart. <laughs> and it's so cold and it just plays into this like, I, I don't have time to bother with this. And I've given this answer a hundred times already. Yep. You know, it was love a it.
1: very, very good scene.
0: So there you have it. If we could rewrite our will and remake a Christmas carol and make it the Christmas carol, This is the cast that we would assemble. Now, every movie is more than just its cast or some of its
1: parts. It's got to have those genuine moments that elevate it to the next part. Right.
0: And when we return, we want to give you some of our favorite moments of some of the different adaptations of A Christmas Carol. This is Screen Cleaning. <speaking> that, of course, is one of the more delightful scenes in any of the adaptations of a Christmas Carol. And it features Kermit the Frog, or in this case Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. And if they're not my favorite, uh Bob and Tiny Tim, then they are certainly my second favorite. They're up there. Right. And this is one of the favorite moments that we are going to be talking about. Cole and I mentioned in the last segment that even though, you know, there can only be one overall favorite, which is Muppet Christmas Carol, there are certain things from the different adaptations that we really do like. And this is one of my favorite scenes in A Muppet Christmas Carol. Because it's just so heartwarming and you get the sense through this song that Kermit and or that Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim love each other. They're walking home from a stroll in the park and uh, Kermit has him perched on his shoulder and they couldn't be happier for. And, you know, for two characters that have all the reason in the world to not be happy, you would never imagine that. They are poor, that they have all these health issues because they are happy even without all that money. And
1: a lot of versions of A Christmas Carol are working to get all the beats in so fast that they don't take these and pause to take these moments of levity where you believe that the Cratchits are a family. Normally, you're just focusing on, oh, they're poor. Oh, their turkey's really small. Oh, you know— Reading through what Dickens wrote, but having this small little moment to remind, you no, they're a loving little family that doesn't really care. It's you can find love in all sorts of places, which is what that Christmas carol is all about.
0: And fun fact, uh, a few of the members of my wife's family and I, we got a hold of the acapella version of this. And when we went around caroling, this is what we sang. It probably didn't sound the best because it's trickier than you would think with with like five different people. (laughs) So that is one of my favorite moments from any adaptation of A Christmas Carol.
1: Fun. I'll say my favorite from a Muppet Christmas Carol, okay. and then we'll move on a little bit. But also, after Scrooge has received his redemption, and Michael Caine is walking through the streets, he comes across the two folks that wanted uh, to get him to donate to charity again. Mm-hmm. One of which is played by the Muppet Beaker, who always speaks in the beep <laughs> beep beeps. Beep, beep, beep. There, thank you. I knew the voiceover man have my back. <laughs> but as so. As he sees them again, they kind of cower away because he was really mean to them Mm -hmm. the last time that they saw him. They didn't realize that he's gone through this life-changing experience. But he comes up to them and he says, I'm going to donate, and he whispers in their ear to what is surely a large sum of money. And a very many number of back payments are involved in that as well. And he's just doing this because he's now feeling charitable. But now for the first time, the Ghost of Christmas present showed him a lot of love, but for the first time in kind of the real world, another human being... Shows him kindness, and Beaker takes off his scarf, and he gives it to Michael Kane. And Michael Kane is holding this scarf like it's the first Christmas present he's ever gotten, because it very well might be. This is a man that's you know, if you don't count the wreath that that
0: uh, Fred the Fred just kind of throws on his
1: door, but this is a man that's gone through so much and. For him to receive just a small, simple Christmas present just meant so much to him, and he puts it around his neck, and it's this bright red, and it contrasts his dark, drab, Victorian-era black clothes that he's always wearing, and it just is sitting there for the rest of the song and dance, for the rest of the the movie, and it reminds you that Scrooge sees love now. This is how he's going to take it, and he's going to show it to the world.
0: I am so happy that you brought that up. I forgot all about that, and yeah, there's, I can't think of another adaptation where somebody gives him something. He goes through the rest
1: of it like buying a turkey and buying all these gifts for everyone else, but he received well as well, and that is what uh, can truly change a man.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I wish I could say my other two favorite moments were as happy and jolly as the one from A Muppet Christmas I mean, yeah, that's
1: the one that brings a tear to my eye. The other two are just kind of fun for me.
0: So there's one I want to mention because it kind of helps connect the dots that you don't get from the book. Um, this kind of answers a question for me that I've always had of if Scrooge's dad had changed and his sister comes in and tells him, oh, father's so much kinder now. He wants you to come home and never come back here. How did he get to where he is now? I mean, I know that there is the, the, the thing with trying to provide for his fiancee, but... This one is the only adaptation that I've seen where you get to see Scrooge's father. Mm-hmm. And it is in the George C. Scott version from 1984. So you have that little interchange, be- or interchange between Fan and Scrooge where everything's everything's going to be so much better now. And yet when they walk outside, his father is there waiting for him with his back turned toward him. Mm-hmm. And you get the impression that he's acting the same way that he always has. For a particular reason, because you find out that uh, Scrooge's mother dies giving birth to Scrooge. So, which also brings up another question, like, how can Fan be his younger sister? So, in this version, he has to be his older sister. Um, But, yeah, his father is just still as cold as ever, and that, to me, is a good indicator of why why Scrooge is still the way that he is and why he goes the other way instead of the happy um, peaceful guy that you would expect after such an interchange he turns around and says yeah we want to bring you home from this uh, for three
1: days and then we're sending you off to we got a great apprenticeship for you
0: three days is enough Yep, yep. that's wow. That's all he gets so I'm glad that we get that little glimpse
1: to see young Scrooge have kind of hope in his eyes again and then have it stamped out mm.
0: um, that's that's heartbreaking. he's Scrooge okay so what's your next favorite moment so
1: I thought it was a really nice touch in an American Christmas Carol, where Scrooge is played by Henry <laughs> Winkler in a lot of makeup.
0: I have um, not seen this. One. We
1: spend a lot of time in the Ghost of Christmas Past in this one, so that Henry Winkler can just look like Henry Winkler did in we the. Spent 80s all this when money on up. this makeup, yeah. Um, but every time. Instead of having a clock chime and tell him when it's time for another ghost to show up, he's listening to a radio. This one takes place in the 1920s-ish, like right after Depression, maybe the 30s, Depression-era America, where he's this shrewd kind of repo man that's lending out all these things. But the radio, as he's listening to it, when we go to the Ghost of Christmas Past, it's playing, you know, stuff from his past. It's playing like the Hindenburgs going down and all that kind of stuff. When it's the present, it's playing, you know, just a present day thing. And then when it's the future, we can do this because it was made after the 20s. It's playing like rock music and stuff from the 50s. And hmm. Henry Winkler's thinking, "What? what is this trash that's that on the radio be and, <laughs> yeah, um, because it's his future and so that's kind of instead of just a clock chiming and telling you when the ghosts are going to appear we're hearing radio bits from past present and future that's pretty cool mm-hmm.
0: was he any good as scrooge
1: he was all right okay it's it's kind of off-putting because it's tough to look past all the makeup that he was mm-hmm, in because henry mm-hmm. winkler was still a young man when they filmed this yeah and to make him look like scrooge which is Scrooge's age, Uh, he was in a lot of makeup, which Mm -hmm. was kind of tough. But it was a pretty good version.
0: Okay, so I'm going to give you my honorable mention, and it's from actually the adaptation that I probably like the least. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. 1970s. Scrooge, or is it 1971? I think it's 1970, starring Albert Finney.
1: Certainly my least favorite Scrooge specifically. Hands
0: down, yeah, mine too. But it this is such a weird film because some of the parts of the movie are like the worst of any of the adaptations. Uh And then there are other moments that are among the greatest moments of any of the adaptations. It's a really bizarre, wacko, weird film. And it's a
1: musical to boot.
0: Right. My honorable mention comes from this film in the scene where Scrooge is being shown around by the ghost of Christmas yet to come. This is probably my favorite version of of what is being seen in the future. And it starts out with a close-up of the Scrooge and Marley sign being polished. You're thinking, okay, what's going on? Because shouldn't he be dead here? Mm-hmm. And it's being polished by this man who earlier in the film gave Scrooge some free broth to kind of win him over to buy him a couple of extra days because he owes Scrooge some money, right? This guy's polishing the sign. He's got a big smile on his face, and there's a big crowd of people gathered around. And he addresses them all saying, Friends, I think it's very appropriate since we're all here that we we say to our dear friend. And then he starts singing, Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that's anyone ever done for me. Academy Award nominated song. And it's very vague. So even Scrooge, who is there witnessing this uh, jolly event, has no idea what's going on. He has no idea that they are singing about his demise. He doesn't see how the door of his office opens and they're carrying out his coffin. Then something really disturbing happens as they're continually singing with a big smile on their face about thank you very much. The broth guy is basically like sitting and dancing and like whispering to the coffin. It's very morbid. It's very disturbing. But it is my favorite part of the film and my honorable mention.
1: Well, and, and that's cool again because that's not the only time that we hear that same song. It comes back in a very clever way. Yes. In a genuine way later on.
0: Right. And when I saw this, I listened to it on YouTube several times and I was looking for excuses to run out and tell everybody about this Awesome song that I just heard in this really mediocre film.
1: <laughs> yeah, to be but, fair, my favorite song from the film is uh, "I Like Life," which is the song that the Mr. Oh, Christmas Present sings. Yeah, or maybe December the twenty fifth, or "I Hate People," or it's this. It's a weird version of Scrooge, <laughs> but it's got a lot of cool songs.
0: Once again, Cole, we never disappoint. To be complete polar opposites in our tastes. Your favorite song from the movie is my least favorite. <laughs> that's,
1: that's all right.
0: So another one of my favorites is just a brutal, brutal moment. And I wish I could say that it was one of the happier moments of this movie from 1951, mm-hmm. Scrooge. Uh, it involves Fezziwig. This one gives oh, you the yes. most in-depth look at Fezziwig. And not only uh, to see how Fezziwig, Fezziwig goes out of business – But you see who kind of drives him out of business and it's Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where they're replacing Fezziwig's sign with Scrooge's sign. And Fezziwig is sitting in this carriage with tears streaming down his eyes, a broken man. Everything that he's worked for in business anyway has just been trampled underfoot. And he sees Scrooge walking down the street and so he kind of hides back into the carriage so that he can't be seen. And then Scrooge realizes that he's sitting there. And you can tell that he wants to say something, anything. But before he does the carriage, you hear the carriage just right off. And you see Scrooge's expression. And his countenance kind of falls. And it is brutal. It is a heartbreaking moment that you don't get from any other version of A Christmas Carol, which is why it's on my list.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. That moment where that establishes Scrooge in his business practices. He Mm -hmm. loved Fezziwig, but he was too giving and too charitable to his employees or to other things, and it drove him out of business. And so Scrooge then resolves not to be that way, to be a good good businessman, quote-unquote.
0: Not only that, but one of Fezziwig's old employees says, am I going to be able to stay on with you, Mr. Scrooge? And he's like, how much were you being paid with Fezziwig? Oh, I was getting paid five shillings a week. He's like— you can stay for four. So mm-hmm. he low, he lowballs him and lets him keep his job. Oh, heartbreaking. Yep, yep. And, yeah, it, it answers helps answer the question, like, what happens to Fezziwig? Which, again, you don't get in any other adaptation. Very cool. That I've seen, anyway.
1: All right, I've got an honorable mention here. And it actually comes from one of the newer versions of A Christmas Carol that neither one of us really like. But it's the one that has Jim Carrey and all the different roles. Really? Right. Okay. Um, We're talking about favorite moments, and I really admire Robert Zemeckis for his... Fascination <laughs> with new technology. This is the man that directed this version of A Christmas Carol and a very visually similar Christmas movie as well, The Polar Express. Right. He has another movie that's coming out today that we neglected to review, but it's Welcome to Marwin. That also takes advantage of a lot of different visual things as Steve Carell's toys kind of come to life in the image of these real people.
0: Looks interesting.
1: Zemeckis is always doing something cool with animation as he presses the boundaries of how to tell a visual story, and I just think this Christmas carol looks really cool.
0: You you weren't, like, creeped out by the way that the humans looked in there? It's they're... all right to be a, a okay. little bit
1: off-putting because it's a creepy <laughs> ghost story. We, we talked earlier about the 71 animation it's true. Uh, animated version true. that won an Academy Award for its and rightly so. weird animation. Yeah. This is
0: weird, too. Weird it is, Cole.
1: And then my other favorite moment is in... The ultimate Spider Man version of what? a Christmas carol. <laughs> Spider Man is my favorite superhero, and in this television uh, cartoon, he's voiced by Drake Bell of Nickelodeon fame, and he does. It's a great version of Spider Man. When he goes through the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, they actually. It's not so much him going to the past, but they animate Spider-Man like the 60s Spider-Man cartoon. Hmm. So he's chasing down a couple of the old crooks that he did in the old comic version. Oh, that's clever. Um, And it's animated like that 60s version. And then when he gets knocked out, he kind of comes to the present. And then they do a future where he's in a more ultimate Spider-Man look. So they kind of change the animation with each past, present, and future, but especially the past – even though he didn't go to the past, it's animated like it's a Spider-Man from the past.
0: Well, I can appreciate that, Cole. Um, the little touches that
1: set the different Christmas carols apart.
0: Yeah, you you gave us a glimpse at some really clever ways of portraying um, past, present, and future with Henry Winkler and this Spider-Man version. Well, and
1: WKRP as well. <laughs> there you have it.
0: Not only do you have the ultimate adaptation of A Christmas Carol, at least in our eyes— but you also have some of the reasons why we love all the different adaptations. I, You know, I don't know that I've seen one where I, I feel like, oh, I hate that one. But there's a lot of good to be found in each one of these. And speaking of good, when we return, we are going to be doing some panning for good. Because we're going to be talking about yet another adaptation that isn't a straight adaptation of A Christmas Carol but has to do with Charles Dickens when we return. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. Cole, I want to say thank you very much for coming in with that music. My favorite part of my least favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol.
1: We have something good to talk about with any movie.
0: Right, right. And speaking of good, I want to mention a couple more things. And first of all, I wanted to mention another good thing that comes out of that 1970 version of Scrooge starring Albert Finney is... In none of the other versions do we know just how much Scrooge donated to that charity, right? He's always whispering right. it in their ear, and then the the two gentlemen are just—their <gasps> eyes are beaming and super wow. surprised and grateful. Well, in this one, he's shouting to them from across, uh, you know, a, a bunch of buildings. And so he says, come over to my office Monday morning, and I'll give you 100 guineas this year and every year. Wow! So, hundred guineas—that means so much to me. That
1: has no idea of Victorian currency,
0: right? But to them, it seemed like a lot, right? So, I did a little digging, did a little uh, conversion, and if my math is correct, it's anywhere from eight to twelve thousand dollars, roughly. Wow! Which is a lot to give All to right. a charity. Um, you but, did the inflation estimate as right, well in there. Okay. Probably not as much as I would have thought it was going to be. <laughs> and again, this isn't canon or anything. I don't believe that. If it's Charles this year Dickens, and every
1: year, that one doesn't include very many back payments, as he sometimes says. That's, that's true. It becomes a regular donation.
0: But twelve grand could do worse. And it's a good place to start for somebody who spent his whole life not giving anything to charity. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to mention is my wife's favorite moment Aww. from her favorite Christmas uh, or version of a Christmas Carol. It's the same as the one that Cole and I picked, Muppets, a Muppet Christmas Carol. There are these pigs that are caroling or in a band or something, and they're just they're singing, and it's kind of really obnoxious singing, but they're singing. <laughs> and at the end of that, one of them hits another one in the face with a cymbal. And the one that gets hit, his face is all scrunched up, and he's upset. So he starts headbutting the <laughs> other pig who hit him, as they start singing. It's in the singing of the da, da, da. And background it's just comedy. a funny, random moment that when my wife missed it the other night, she made my kids rewind it because she <laughs> wanted to see her favorite moment. There's good in them dark hills. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. As mentioned, we've been taking a look back at a lot of the different adaptations of A Christmas Carol and there's a lot of good to be found in each one. And while this one that I'm going to mention for our Panning for Good segment isn't a straight adaptation of A Christmas Carol, you do get little bits and pieces of A Christmas Carol because it is the story of The Man Who Invented Christmas, starring Dan Stevens as Charles Dickens and... You have Christopher Plummer playing Scrooge, or at least in Charles Dickens' mind. In his head, he's Scrooge, right? Right? In this movie, Charles Dickens is writing a couple of—or he's written just a couple of flops, and so he's trying to figure out how he's going to rebound from them. And one idea that he comes up with is to tell a ghost story, one that we're all very familiar with, or at least should be by now, a Christmas carol, or what would become a Christmas carol. His publishers don't really get it. They feel like uh, Christmas is a holiday that people don't really celebrate anymore. And he says, well, to heck with it. I'm going to just pony up the dough myself. And that's what he does. And he, he, um, he hires somebody to paint these beautiful illustrations that end up in the book somebody who else or who also isn't quite catching Charles Dickens' vision of what he wants to do and as Charles Dickens is writing the story and coming up with the characters as he starts conjuring the characters the characters start appearing in his They come his. to life in his mind but we get to see them too right and it's so clever how they do it so um you know and they show him pacing the room trying to come up with Scrooge's name and when he finally zeroes in on the name you know this this gush of wind comes comes in and voila there is christopher plummer as scrooge Aww. and it's just a delightful version of this story not only that um but you kind of get charles dickens himself kind of gets the scrooge treatment in that he has some things that he has to forgive his father for that he has to let go from his past and so you get to see how his how he basically has that arc and he has that transformation where he's able to forgive his dad and he's able to welcome his father with open arms into his home again very heartwarming story and Even though we watch A Muppet Christmas Carol each and every year, I think this is one that we are going to add to our must-watch each year. It's that good. Nice. you got to check it out, Cole. I will. Well, there you have it. We gave you our ultimate, the Christmas Carol, and we did it to celebrate Christmas here on Screen Cleaning. And we want to wish each and every listener out there a very Merry Christmas. Go out and watch some of these adaptations of A Christmas Carol as you're trimming the tree, as you're wrapping the presents. And uh, we've given you some really good options to choose from. So once again, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Screen Cleaning.